0: Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go, with podcasts and live streaming of primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes well-being research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about culture and how people from different cultures can feel involved, valued, and respected wherever they are. My guest today is Ara Simmons, parent, well-being facilitator, and a certified positive psychology coach. Ara is also the creator of The Flourishing Post, a weekly well-being newsletter for those interested in issues around education and well-being. Ara was born and raised in Manchester in the UK and came to New Zealand in 2004. Kia ora, Ara, we're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Kia ora, Denise, nice to be here. So Ara, tell us a little bit about your background and your experience of cultural diversity.
0: Well, um, I suppose it's safe to say to begin with a story about myself, so I will do it in the traditional Maori way of sharing my mihi with you if that's okay. Beautiful. Ko so, Kinderscote Toku Manga, ko Uel Toku Awa, ko Bangladeshi Toku Iwi, ko Nurul zawa ko Nurul Oku Matua, ko Paul Tokutane, ko Sophia Rato Ko Kesem. Ko Asha, aku tamariki, no Manchester, aho Ko Ara Simmons, toku ingoa. And um, it's interesting, yeah, thanks Denise. And it's interesting because I have really built a connection with that way of introducing myself because culturally I am of Bangladeshi heritage And part of our culture is to locate you through your father's line back to the village that you come from in Bangladesh. So my parents went to England in the 1960s and settled in Manchester. And me and my siblings were all born in the UK. And, And in terms of a career, I went into teaching and I was actually quite lucky because all the teaching experiences I have had and of course in England you're dealing with multiple cultures of your students constantly and increasingly so my first years in teaching and continuing on so I spent 10 years in the UK was immediately being submerged in the idea of speaking to the different cultures of individuals, of the students that was in front of me. So it was never, ever articulated as you need to speak to the culture. It was the idea of get to know me before you teach me. So that was the approach. Creating a family-like feeling with your students. Mm -hmm. And I was actually very lucky because, you know, School lunches in the UK. So all the schools that I actually worked with, we were encouraged to sit with the students and have our school lunch, and so that's where I really got to know my students and what they'd been doing and what um, things were happening in their families and what they were into. It was around food at lunch. So night.
1: that's so lovely and so universal. We're we're all human. We all eat together. We all know that breaking bread and sharing food with people is one of the lovely ways that we get to feel safe and come together and get to know each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was also working with young people that had a lot of challenges in their lives and also within challenging communities. And so, something that I also got to develop and strengthen was um, how I, as a teacher, engaged with um, the family of my students. So, and quite often, they would be through, you know, phone calls. There would be contact. So, um, it was very much, very much connected very much connected. And, and because of some of the areas that were quite challenging that I worked in, part of the response was um, too intentionally. So a lot of the habits were intentional, that you rang up and you gave something good. <laughs> yeah. Ring and for a good so, thing, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And, 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 and so um, I feel I was very lucky and fortunate as a teacher to have had all those experiences and of course what I know now a number of those are actually well-being practices but you didn't know that at the time they were just innate things to do and it was really about human connection and relationship and and just making people part of the community it was whatever we could you know we could do. And so when I came to New Zealand, um you know they are the kind of things that I was used to. Yeah. So they were the kind of practices that I continued to do. However, the eating aspect was a challenge because the, the, you know the system is different. different yeah. So I had to look for other ways of um, connecting.
1: It, it is interesting isn't it I mean all of those things you talk about the human connection the relationship the building connection to community and having a sense of being part of community they are so um fundamental to human well-being and university mm-hmm. um, and and I think there's huge value for us in learning what are the things that other people do well around the world at work because um when you, when you mentioned the eating together, that seems such a kind of a no-brainer of, wow, of course that would be important, um, and yet we don't do it. And it reminded me of, um, I was working with a colleague some years back who came from Turkey, and he'd been um, a maths teacher in Turkey, and he said the expectation there for every teacher was that they would visit every student's home and he said and i'm thinking in my mind i'm going wow that's an incredible commitment and he said you know not a big deal just maybe um a dinner or a lunch or something in each place
0: and i resonate with that because it's quite interesting that is what i used to also do in england you would be visiting the students home it was fairly normal and typical i was a science teacher so my you know I was working in the secondary setting initially here in New Zealand and it wasn't the idea that you also rung up the parents that wasn't done either but that is something that I did because again the nature of the young people that I was working with um, and and to also support that connection um, the school that I was working at I had a homework club going and I made sure there was food at that Mm -hmm. place so food is a very important part of and that's from my culture food has a very significant place in the way you connect with people and so I always made food available to my kids at school Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, that the whole
1: field of cultural responsiveness has existed for several decades with advocates from different groups saying we need to attend to the individual's identity before we can enable them to learn effectively. And then along comes the field of well-being providing exactly the same message, Mm -hmm. but from a well-being perspective. So I see, and as I say this, I've got one hand over the other going, there's such a huge congruence and overlap whether you come at this from a cultural responsiveness perspective or a well-being perspective what the science is telling us is that when somebody feels known for who they are and connected with as a person that enables their supports their well-being and enables their learning
0: yeah absolutely denise and that just kind of reminds me again with my own background so um I think it's just pertinent to share my own cultural positioning. So I am of Bangladeshi heritage. My husband is New Zealand European, Mm -hmm. Pakeha. Um, My children have got dual um, cultural identities of Asian and Pakeha. We are, you know, our family, mainly in New Zealand, is Pakeha, but then our extended whanau, is Ngāti Maniapoto, Māori, and we also have Pakistani identity in the England. So the idea for me when I approach um, the idea of an individual wanting to get to know even the students that I taught, it's coming from multiple places. So I couldn't really come from one specific position. So I think What has helped me in the whanau that I belong to is that looking at things from multiple perspectives. And I know if we were all able to do a bit more of that work, um, what looking at it from those perspectives would offer us, would be able to kind of see some of the barriers mm-hmm. that exist.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Ta- tell us a bit more about that, Ara. When you talk about coming at things from multiple perspectives, can you give me an example or a story?
0: So my idea is, I am curious about you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about you. So, so the types of so the types of questions I actually ask is quite. They're they're very open questions, and I suppose what happens is, and this comes from my coaching experience, the more open we are able to ask the question, it allows somebody else to lead the conversation in the direction that they want that conversation to go in. So it Mm -hmm. offers the other individual the space to serve up whatever they would like to about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we go from there. So the, the, the uncovering and the discovery, the other person gets to lead and change. And I have kind of experienced that with, so, you know, I'm a parent of three children. And if I were to express to you, my oldest is 18, my youngest is 10. And it has only been as a parent in the last two years with my youngest child has the, the, the identity of just one of my children has been seen and they have been seen. So that's my experience as a parent. So sorry, are you
1: saying it's only in the last year that you really feel for your youngest child that their identity mm-hmm. has been fully seen and acknowledged? Yeah, yeah. and
0: it's because those, and, and it's specifically to the teachers of, of my children, of that youngest child, they asked an open and curious question. Tell me about you. Tell me about what you like you know what what kind of things do your family do and so what and 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 the thing is what that enables is it places the adult wanting to know in a place of curiosity
1: I often feel that when we do work in classrooms or with teachers and we'll do work around strengths and and sometimes even just having a conversation for 10 minutes around what you like at your best and what positive qualities somebody else might see in you and I always say at the end you know we say we don't have time and it would take far too much time to invest in ways that we can know each other more deeply and I think we've just done that in 10 minutes yeah it doesn't have to be it's not as good. we sometimes make things more complicated than they might be.
0: Mm. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> I really do, Denise, because it's that idea of um, it's the simplest way we can actually connect with each other. So part of my conversation when I have, or even when I have it with myself, you know, about culture and identity is that idea of connection. So even if we were to take away those words of culture and identity and make it about connection and belonging, mm-hmm. how can I support you to connect? Uh, or how, how? what are the ways in which you can help me to connect with you mm-hmm. so that I can help you belong to yeah. this whanau space? It's as simple as that. What needs to happen in order for you to feel that you,
1: can, that you belong in this space? allows yeah. Allow someone to bring so many different things that may not be, you know, that say, if asking that question as a teacher, I've got no idea what might come forth, but I'm going to know an awful lot more after I ask the question.
0: Yeah. And, and so what we're also speaking to is the idea of being brave and being courageous enough mm. to ask that question. Schools are places where identities um, are sustained, um, where they can grow and where they can flourish. Um, if, if, if the greater vision for the idea of school within a community is to be able to impact society. Um, and, 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 and so, yeah, that, 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 is a, a, that is a question, and it makes me think about... So what would it take to support and grow and to promote people's personal why around why we do these things but make it quite a personal connection? Um, Does that make sense? Tell me more about what you mean about the personal why. Yeah, so... (laughs) I'll give you an example, some of the work that I did and developed when I was a specialist teaching of learning and behaviour was um, something called, I'd call them life books or a, a, um, a life whacker or whatever the young person wanted to kind of call their book, their life journal and what it was was to really um, I worked with young people in terms of uncovering who they are for themselves, and so part of the approach would be we'd uncover what their strengths were. So that was the first piece, and then we would clarify, okay, when do you when do you um, demonstrate that strength, strength, and then construct stories. So part of the process of the of the life book was to create a helpful narrative about that young person and who they are and who they wanted to be in the world. Because when that was secure, that could then be connected to other aspects of themselves in terms of their school, um, some goals they wanted uh, to aspire to, and... Um, and so that, that, that is a type of work that I did. So you'd have these young people with these um, A5 folders and they'd be full of images, phrases, and stories about themselves in the affirmative of who they are and who they aspire to be. It was a bit like a vision board. So that's really? how I started them off. Mm-hmm. And, and there were vision boards. And what it was, it was the idea of inspiring hope so that's one of the big five for yes in terms of wellbeing yeah so it was about hope and it was also about cultivating a love for themselves mm. so that was the other piece and in in the coaching work that i do as teachers i honestly believe that every single teacher in Aotearoa needs their own coach because as individuals if we know who we are on a deeper level, on a transformational level, in terms of the acts that we go out in the world and we do, whether it be in teaching or any other area of work, um, having a strong why that you can kind of come back to, that is your grounding column, is is, is quite powerful and and in, empowering, agentic, you know. So when we're talking about the idea of you know, agentic, you know, that would be a cultural responsive practice when we're talking about young people, you know? Mm. And um, so when you
1: say agentic, you mean giving people a sense of agency, reminding them yeah. that they are capable of making things happen in the world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. And, 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 and connecting to that bigger purpose. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's not something that uh, as, as teachers... Um, there is enough space to do, but it's you know I would say mm-hmm. it's quite valid because the expectation on teachers is to be a coach and a support for the students and supporting their being, All those
1: aspects, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Ara, one of the things that we've, you know, we've been talking about cultural responsiveness, and I know there's another term that you use as well, which is cultural s- sustainability. Can you tell us a bit about what that means and, and what the difference between them might be?
0: Well, um, for me, to culturally sustain something is is to, is to really have a deeper understanding around the idea of, um, well, maybe I can illustrate that by doing, uh, giving an, exam, an example. So let's just, we, we are in a school environment and there's a Kapahaka group going on, there's some Tereo going on in the classroom. Those things are happening for the children. But, but what is like happening for the adults in the school? So the best Example that I can describe of cultural sustaining practice is taking some of those elements into our staff room. So I have also, again, been very lucky being part of environments where when we open a meeting, it's done with karakia and we have a waiata. And that is standard practice as part of... The meetings that we have, so that's almost living those cultural aspects, um, but also recognising these practices are actually part of our everyday life. They're not things that we um, we we pull out when we have special guests come to the school, or we're ticking a box. It's actually really living those elements, whereas. You know we can describe responsive cultural responsiveness as aspects of um, deliberate um, interventions that we would ensure that we have in our classroom. So I'm just thinking about culturally responsive practices around supporting our learners. And there's, there's, there's five of them, and they come from relationship based learning, the work of Russell Bishop. And they they are is, you know, um, students' prior learning, feedback, feed-forward, the idea of power-sharing with your students, Mm -hmm. and co-construction. So, you know, they're the five elements when we're looking at interacting in a family-like way to promote learning in our classroom environment. And when we're thinking about relationship-based practices, It's around the idea of rejecting deficit thinking, um, caring and nurturing our young people, um, voicing and demonstrating high expectations, um, ensuring all students have the ability to learn and know what our students need to learn.
1: Mm-hmm. so can we do two things i'm really excited <laughs> Oh, oh my God. So, so can we talk a little bit more about russell bishop's model the relationship-based learning um, and just describe that a little for um for the, for our listeners and then i want to come back and let's talk about ooh, what would it look like if it wasn't just relationship-based learning but if we actually applied that in the staff room situation because that's where i think yeah. you're going
0: well, I think, I think Russell Bishop is the best to kind of explain his work, but my take on it, it's really about cultivating, you know, family. Mm. It's really about cultivating family. And a word that we don't often use in our education system that we probably need to use a lot more of is aroha, love. Mm. You know, so in all the spaces... In all the spaces that I have been into in schools where uh, they do it so well, there is so much love there. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. bursting. And, And when I'm talking about culturally sustaining, you know, that's it, you know. It's the idea of, you know, even if we use the word love, well, what does love look like in the classroom? Mm. What does love look like when we're dealing with our colleagues? Or what does love look like when we're giving feedback and feed forward? Or, you know, what does love like look like when we're appreciating? You know?
1: Mm, mm.
0: And, and, and it's just that for me.
1: Yeah, and I think concepts like manaakitanga and aroha are so yeah. important um, in how
0: in how a place feels and what people are able to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And can I just um, I've just thought of another example here. And I was at this um, I was at the coal um, just just ever so recently, and. Um, so they had the porphyry, beautiful porphyry um, and then something again that I've never seen before. So this is where, again, talking about courageousness, brave. Um, they had a young student from a different culture close the porphyry with a karakia from a different culture. and. The school explained why they were doing that in terms of voicing, look, our community is becoming increasingly diverse and we recognise that and we embrace that as part of our tikanga. So then that's where I see schools really, so there's another example of cultural sustainability, the idea that you know envir- you know you 've got school environments understanding okay, we have this as a framework, this is what else this is how we 're extending it
1: mm-hmm. and so, so for you um, for, for you Anna, the 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 sustainability piece really has to come from this isn 't just something that we teach or pay lip service to. It's something that has to be lived in the fibre of the school, and I guess when I when I think about that, it it um, um, I connect with the whole idea when we talk about whole school well being that we say well being is taught and caught that you might have some practices you teach, but actually it's how you behave and where it's modelled that make such a big difference. And so and so in that respect, would you like to see? you know, people's prior experience and cultural background and toolkit um, being explored in staff and power sharing and co-construction.
0: Yeah, and I think the places where I see it done well. So um, I think I've shared with you before the idea like currently in, in so these are 2017 figures. mm mm-hmm. You know, 73% of our teachers are Pākehā and, and 10% are Māori. And then we've got 80% of school management and leadership positions are held by Pākehā. And and so the idea is there's, there's a bit of a gap in the knowledge that needs to be addressed and the places where it's been easier to kind of uncover those aspects is when you get a bit more diversity within the school, within the adults, within the leadership, because those conversations naturally are there and they come up and those discussions can be had. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, part of my thoughts would be how can we be a bit more deliberate and intentional about using the resources first of all within our school staff and also you know within with within our within our community yeah um because we don't need to have the answers we just need to have the courage to ask the question mm-hmm. and be
1: curious and know that we'll work our way through it together if we can actually yeah. have an open conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and build spaces to have them. Um, I think that's really exciting. And you know, Ara, I, I see. Um, I see where in education we can. You know, we are we are learning and making strides, and we can also learn from other areas. So, for example, I know that. Um, In the last decade, the dean of the medical school at um, the University of Otago, Peter Crampton, has had a major commitment to um, that the future medics of this country should reflect the makeup of the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, And they have very explicitly sought to increase the number, particularly, of Māori and Pacifica students. Um, coming into the med school because they said it's not okay when you go and see your doctor that your doctor doesn't look like you.
0: yeah and and I suppose that is something for our profession. so I work as a facilitator in this space so I go into a lot of school environments and um, there's very few to know but it, you know in terms of even people looking like me. Uh-huh. you know. Um, there isn't so I know you know and that is a challenge for us to look at and um, and I believe it's come through recently there was some race unity um, diversity statement that young people were able to contribute to and part of their response was wanting to see more diversity in the adults.
1: Nice, nice. But really? I, lo- I love what you're saying. I think there's a very clear message coming through here that yes, it would be great to have um, staff and leadership that more fully reflect the populations of our students. And in the meantime, let's use the tools that we have and let's use the resources that we have in our student bodies and our whanau and extended communities to to do some of the work so that in the meantime, it's becoming better for everybody who's there and also making it an environment that is more attractive for people to come into.
0: Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of this beautiful quote by Verna Myers. So diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is about being asked to dance. And so my thinking is, yeah, how do we get more people, more of our young people and also our adults in the system to dance? Yeah.
1: How can the system enable them to dance? Yeah. 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 Lovely, lovely. Oh, Ara, to close, can I ask just, I've really valued our time together and our conversation. Now, can I ask you a couple of questions to just bring us to a close here? Sure. What. First one is, what's the one thing, if you could only do one thing that was your piece of advice that you would like to see parents and teachers doing that would make the biggest difference to young people's resilience and wellbeing? what would that be?
0: To be fair, it would be around the idea of connection. Mm-hmm. Just to sit and just to chat and just to be present. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah. That is connection is a big thing for me. So um, that that would be it because it's through that connection. So many other things can can yeah can happen. Yeah. And uh, clearly for that connection to have be happen. So I know you mentioned one thing, um, just the idea of that that mindfulness, that that pausing, that just taking a breath mm. for that to happen, um, because. Um, our lives are just so fast. There's so many things going on. So the idea of that slowness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we really have come to
1: value efficiency. I'm trying to throw efficiency out the window at the moment. <laughs> you know, it's like, really, is that what I want on my tombstone? Denise was efficient. She drove herself to an early grade. No. <laughs> um, you know, but to stop being efficient and to slow down and savor, and yes, yeah. and I think everybody can. It's every every teacher, every parent, every sibling. We've all got different ways that we can connect. Whether it's taking the dog for a walk, or sweeping leaves, or sitting watching TV and having a wee chat afterwards, or cooking, or just sitting, or playing cards. You know it. It doesn't mean you have to try and engage your teenager in a deeper, meaningful conversation at every stage. But we do need time to be together, don't we?
0: We absolutely do, Denise. Yeah. And in terms of your own
1: well-being, Ara, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being, what would it
0: be? Well, um, one thing I do, even when I go into facilitation, when I go into a new school, um, I love Queen some music is my thing and when I play Queen it takes me back to a memory in my childhood we used to live um, uh, just a few streets away from the Manchester City football ground and of course Queen came to play at Main Road and I got to listen to Freddie Mercury live from (laughs) the comfort of my own bedroom so (laughs) I play queen music when I facilitate just beforehand and I share that story because that takes me back to a memory where I was really happy, but music is a big feature in my life. I love music.
1: Oh, excellent. I love that. That's your, your put that on and play music. That is fabulous. Okay. And what's your go-to strategy for
0: boosting your own well-being when you feel a bit frustrated or down? It is, again, it's, it's music or... It's taking our friend's dog next door for a walk and ranting to the dog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because dogs don't tell our secrets.
0: No, they don't. They don't.
1: Oh, that's fabulous. Ara, thank you so much for being with us today. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation, and it's a real privilege to get to talk to you. Kia ora, Denise. Thank you so much. Lovely to have you here.
0: Bye. Ta-kite. You've been
1: listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20.
0: Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM
1: Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.